Hello everyone and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. So who are you interviewing today, Lindsay? I got the chance to talk to Dr. Kathy Hirsch-Pasick about her book, Becoming Brilliant, and I loved her book so much, Mom. I hope everybody reads it. So why? What's in her book? It's The title makes me want to read it, too. What is something that's in her book that is making you excited? Well, have you ever heard of the book, um, Einstein Didn't Use Flashcards, I think is the name of the book? Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. She's the same lady who wrote uh, that book. Oh, it's the same one. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. And she talks about how we can improve education and about how educating children is more than just content. It's about teaching them to be collaborative with other people and good communicators and good critical thinkers. And she has this really great rubric that's in the book that talks about Uh, that helps you see where kids are on their scale of critical thinking or collaboration and where we are on our own scale. Oh, that would be so helpful. I know. And I just, as I was reading the book, I just kept thinking, wouldn't it be great if in a parent-teacher conference, instead of just sitting and talking about Mm -hmm. content, I could use this great measurement of critical thinking skills and and show that to parents too. And, and confidence, confidence is another thing she says kids needs. She calls them the six C's in the book. Oh, cool. <laughs> I think that we are finally seeing the pendulum swing back a little bit. I really honestly did not think I'd ever see it swing back in my career because it has swung so far in my career to the one side. I just didn't think it would ever well, inch Well, hopefully back. the pendulum is not going to swing anymore. Because the pendulum swinging has never been a good thing. Maybe we'll all just stop that stupid pendulum from swinging and just get in the good area where good practices and stay there. Yeah, I agree. Well, NEA just put out a new uh, study that talks about how they've found that kids in happy classrooms do better in their academics. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't need a study to know that <laughs> because I went through the system as a child and I taught for a lot of years. And I know that when I was a student, if I liked the teacher, I would do anything for the teacher. I would do all that extra credit and because I was happy. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of teachers have gone to think the behavior systems and thinking everything just has to be so rigid Mm -hmm. because of the curriculum um, that we need to adhere to, Mm -hmm. that I was happy to read that study that that things are coming out now besides just studying why the Common Core is evil or good. (laughs) (laughs) We're We're past that point, I hope. Thank goodness we're (laughs) past that. (laughs) Well, and she talks in the book, too, about parents back east who are so worried about content that they are enrolling their kids in preschool the day they're born. And it has to be the very best, very most prestigious private preschool and the one that will get their child into Harvard. And she just writes about how we just need to pull back from that because that's not what makes you a happy human being in the end. And what a great message that is. I love that. I am excited to hear her interview. Let's get going. Okay. I, I really love this book. I want everybody to read this book. Thank you so, so much. It was, you know, it, it took us like a really long time 
to write because we wanted to get the whole integrative piece right. Mm -hmm. And I was just so happy when it came together. And to find out that business people were talking about the exact same stuff for which there was science of little people mm -hmm. was like, whoa, there's something bigger than life here, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's very exciting. Uh, do you mind before we talk about it more, could you introduce yourself for people who are, who are going to listen? Oh, I would be happy to. Thank you. I'm Kathy Hirsch-Pasek, and I'm a professor of psychology at Temple University, and I am also a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, where we put science to work in policy. Oh, that's it. Thank you. And could you talk a little bit about the how the book came to be? It sounds like it was a huge undertaking. Um, it was a huge undertaking, but but a really you know fulfilling one, and a lot of it came from conversations <clears throat> that you know I I've been having with Roberta about what's the science say about how little kids learn, and it sure as heck wasn't jiving with what we were doing in schools mm -hmm. when we talk about how little kids or even big kids learn. So that was um, that was part of it. And the second was that I was having all these conversations with a friend of mine who, um, who was a really incredible uh, entrepreneur and business person and who was the protege of Peter Drucker, who is the father of modern management. Mm -hmm. And as we kept having these conversations, we came to realize, oh my gosh, what we're talking about as the needs in the business community for the 21st century jive almost perfectly with the scientific way of talking about how people learn. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, they don't jive at all with how can you memorize something and spit it out on a test. <laughs> so right. it was like a wake-up call. Right. And, and the book came to be as a way of sketching out, well, what would it mean, what would it mean to do it right? How do we want to think about our kids, our world, and success in that world? Mm-hmm. And I, I love it. I feel like it, it spoke to me so much about all the visions I have for what I want my kids' classrooms to be like yeah. and what Thank I you. want to teach like. And I, yeah. I know there are so many people who are on the same page. And, and I, I listened to Joe Bowler give a talk once about how hard it is to get the learning science to the practitioner and, oh yeah, yeah, really. And, and she yeah. talked about how one thing that she learned was that, uh, as a as a mathematics scientist, was that the more kids visualize fingers, the better they are at number sense. But as yeah. teachers, we're always saying, "Don't use your fingers. Don't use your fingers." <laughs> so there's this disconnect between the learning sciences and and the teachers. So can you speak to that? I I think this book is a great way for us as practitioners to get our handle on that. Is there any other way we can connect better? Well, I, I think part of it is just learning what's out there. You know, there are so many incredible, incredible studies. Let's just take one. You know, while we're teaching reading in our schools, we are like hellbound and just making sure that we do the letter sound correspondence and we sound out the words. And that's very important. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't have the words once you've sounded it out, it's really hard to make reading meaningful. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. let's go back again and ask, well, what are those test scores really reflecting? On the one hand, they're reflecting your being able to sound out the letters to get the word. 
But now, going back, it's about, did you have the conversation so you had the words in the first place? And to have the conversations means you had to have that give and take back and forth and back and forth with another human being. So it's really that collaboration begets communication, mm -hmm. and communication begets reading, and then you get a good test score. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't know that, you could start at a very wrong place. Mm-hmm and assume you're going to just solve the problem, which is not really the case. Yeah. 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 And, and you talk about in the book those six C's, and you mentioned a couple of them just now. Yeah, just now, um, right. Can, and uh, could you talk about them a little bit? Would it be easier to talk about them one by one or just in general? Oh, we can, we can do both. But I think as we do it, it'll be fun for listeners both to think of this in terms of where our kids are at. Mm. Also think about where we're at as adults, mm -hmm. you know, what your office space is like. So mm -hmm. let's take mm -hmm. a look. The first ask the simple question, how are we as collaborators? Now, human beings are really quite good collaborators. You know, our ticket to the whole species is that we're really social, mm -hmm. okay? In fact, one of my colleagues calls us ultra social mm -hmm. compared to any other species on the planet. And through that, we learn to respect other people's opinions, well, sometimes, or not. <laughs> um, we learn to uh, have that back and forth communication to understand the contents of another person's mind. We have that ability to stop and not push Johnny off the swing just because you want it. <laughs> but to learn to inhibit that response and and uh, and learn how to get along. And these are critically important skills for, for respecting diversity, building culture, building community. Collaboration is number one. Now, built on collaboration is communication. Well, let's dissect that for a minute. Communication has the language we learn, and it also has you know, the reading and writing, which is part of language as well, but it has listening, not just speaking and blabbing. And we live in a blab culture, right? <laughs> Where every day we put up on Facebook what we had for breakfast, like the whole world cares. And the bad news is they don't. Okay, so communication happens when you have somebody to communicate with. Collaboration begets communication. Mm -hmm. And then when you have the words, when you have the language, when you're able to listen, then you can build content. And that content isn't just in reading and math. It's in the arts. It's in social studies. It's in civics. It's in history. Mm -hmm. It's in a whole lot of topics that often get ignored today. And it's in learning to learn skills, attention. We sometimes call executive function skills of attention, problem solving, flexibility, right? These are all critically important if we're going to be able to learn and to learn to solve problems we've never encountered. Ah, but there's so much information out there. Information's doubling every two and a half years. So just having all the content in the world won't help us. We need critical thinking. We need to be able to sift through that information so we have collaboration begets communication, which begets content, which begets critical thinking. And then there's the moment where you can put things together in a new way to solve a problem. And, and when you can solve that new problem, you're creative. You're taking the knowledge you have 
and combining and recombining as if you're making something new out of the Legos that you have, okay? Mm -hmm. And that gives you creative innovation. And finally, the confidence. The confidence to persist even if the tower falls down. The confidence to persist if your new product doesn't work right away. I mean, look, it is said that when the first iPhone was, was shipped and Steve Jobs saw it, he recognized they put a plastic cover on instead of a glass cover. The glass cover was going to cost much, much more, but you could see through it better and it was more usable. And he sent back all the phones that had been ordered and had a new case put on. Wow. It takes that kind of persistence, not just giving up in terms of failure, but a growth mindset, grit. So you put it all together and then you have collaboration that begets communication that goes to content, critical thinking, creative innovation, and then finally with confidence or grit to take those intellectual and physical risks. Mm-hmm. I, I, and you also talk about in the book how important these skills are and how we don't always give them the credit that they deserve. And, you know, there's the phrase hard skill and soft skill. And sometimes we think of these soft skills as not being as important. Can you talk a little bit about why these are so important? Well, first of all, let me tell you that I don't want to use the term soft skills mm-hmm. ever. Certainly not without quotes around it to say <laughs> we use it. Um, because they're not, they're not soft at all. Right. And as I suggested, you know, just a little earlier, you can't get to reading if you don't have collaboration and communication. You'll never get there. Mm -hmm. And you'll certainly never be good at it, just Mm -hmm. if you've memorized a few letter to sound correspondence pieces. So the question before us is really how to use these social skills, these artistic skills, pattern maker skills, thinking skills, and put it all together so that we shine when we want to learn content. That's what it's really all about. But it's even bigger. It's bigger because I think we are, as a culture, as parents, and as teachers, faced with a fundamental question. How do we define success? Now, one way to define success is, wow, our kids got a good grade on their math test and a fabulous grade on their reading test. And look at that. Or we could say that what we really mean by success is, yeah, we want them to do well in school. But it's about having happy, healthy, caring, social, thinking, creative kids who are going to grow up and be the critically thinking, collaborative, social human beings who are going to be responsible citizens. Wow. Now, I've asked this question around the world. What do you want for your kids? Do you want just a good test score? Or are you looking for a well-rounded, happy kid who cares about other people and also does well in the tests? And every single place I go, they say the latter. Mm-hmm. And the six C's are the way you get the latter, mm-hmm. not the former. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it boils down to, for me, that a computer will always be better than I am at memorizing a vocab word 
and at memorizing a math equation. A computer will never be better than I am, at least not for the foreseeable future, in being a collaborative human being who has critical thinking at his fingertips, at its fingertips. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, you talked a few times in the book about how we're living in this world with this explosion of information and everything is going to be at our kids' fingertips. And so the goal of education isn't to be robots and computers. We have robots and computers. Right. The goal is to be processors and users of this information. Yeah. Yeah. The people who will be the leaders tomorrow your most effective people in a society are going to be the ones that know how to use information, not just to, you know, get information. Mm-hmm. I think about it, you know, I saw a school this week, actually I saw a really cool thing in Japan that they called the, the classroom of the future. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing. All the walls were, were whiteboards and things came out of nowhere to allow us to really get information in a beautifully packaged environment. And as I looked at this beautiful environment, I thought, wow, the deliverables are awesome. We have learned how to package information. How do we help kids discover information? That's profound, yeah. I, uh, I lost my train of thought because that was so profound. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this beautiful, yeah. I, I, I like, too, that you kind of talk about how kids need to not to, to be able to discover information more, that the learning needs to be less shallow and more deep and really. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? I sure can. You know, there are a lot of words we all learned when we took our SAT tests, for example. Remember, we memorized like 400 words. And then when you had to use ubiquitous in a sentence, you were like dying because you couldn't do it. That's kind of how we've been teaching vocabulary to our young children. And my gosh, words are so beautiful. Like it took me forever to find out that health had the word heal in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I never noticed it before, Mm -hmm. but imagine Mm -hmm. now that we did notice it. And imagine that we knew that healthy and health and heal were all related because they had the innards that were the same Mm -hmm. and they were connected and they had deeper meaning that we could trace back to the things we were reading, talking about and doing. That's the deep level of knowledge that will allow us to have those aha moments and to be true creative innovators and critical thinkers. And without it, we're shallow. Mm -hmm. We do only what a computer does. Mm And I am also so happy that you talked about how important play is in our uh, in our yes. early childhood classrooms. We keep trying to turn our kids into computers and and to seem as if there's only one right way to do things. I, I'm horrified when I go into preschool or elementary classrooms and I see the art projects that aren't art projects at all, right? They're like, there they are. Everybody got the same apples to put on the same tree that they glued together to make the Thanksgiving, you know, the Thanksgiving moment happen. Um, That's not what people are about. They have agency. They have will. They aren't totally deterministic. And we have to give that back to young children if they're going to be the type of people who are going to be leaders in the world. 
even if they're going to be good community members and citizens in the world. We aren't all alike. We are not cookie cutters. And we don't like living in a cookie cutter world. So we have to get over, I think, the fact that all schools have to do all things on the same page at the same time. There's a beautiful book that was written by uh, Erica Christakis. Uh, Christakis, sorry. And, um, and she says, we have turned our teachers into carnival barkers. That line just stood out to me. We're not even trusting our teachers to do the right things with our children. Part of that's play. That's where kids are discoverers, explorers, and where they exercise all six of the C's. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for speaking to that. Uh, do you have any thoughts for specifically preschool and K and first and second grade teachers about what you would like to see in their classrooms? Oh my gosh, I sure do. Um, I would like to see less of the day spent solely on lists and preparing for tests. We now know that in the early grades, some 25 to 29% of the time the teachers spend with our youngest kids, with our greatest natural resource, is in preparing them to take a test. We know that the numbers out this year suggest that the arts are down by 16% over where they were in the late 1900s. This is the way kids learn. They learn by exploring. I'm not saying, by the way, that we should be taking content out of the school. Quite the contrary. But I am saying you need more leeway in how you explore that content. Children learn vocabulary by listening to a beautiful story, by hearing the words used again and again, by having a chance afterwards to become the dramaturges who get to act out that story once they figured out how they want to act out that story and how the words go together to make a new story. These are the skills that are going to allow our kids to be smart. And the teachers know that. They largely know that. So trust yourself to the extent that you can and within the constraints of the classroom you're in and recognize that our children need to really learn not simply to memorize. Thank you. Thank you for that. And let's see, the book is called Becoming Brilliant, What Science Tells Us About Raising Successful Children. I want to make sure I read the whole title before I forget. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Becoming Brilliant. It's, it's like amazing. And, and as I say, you know, I just got back from Japan. I was a little worried. I wondered, oh gosh, you know, how are they going to take to really wanting whole children who who are also smart children. And they took to it very well. You know what's hot on the list in Japan and in China and in Singapore is ensuring that our kids become creative. In the United States, we're going in the other direction. And in China and Japan and Singapore, they're rewriting the mission of education to make sure that their, their kids have a real shot at being the leaders of the free world. Yeah. And uh, do you, another thing I thought about while I was reading the book is how can I as a classroom teacher make a difference? Mm. Because there's so, so much, so much is beyond our scope 
you know, so much is beyond our ability to change. But can you give us any suggestions of ways we can make a difference in our own in our own sphere? In your own space. Well, there are a couple of ways. Um, At the very basic way, I want to suggest that teachers make a difference every day. Um, I meet wonderful people who are out there giving of themselves to help every child get a chance. And I think teachers are just the most remarkable people. I don't believe that any of us, including teachers, can do it all. You know, and sometimes society expects us to solve every problem, to make every cure. And I think that's an unfair burden. So um, I think, you know, trust yourself. Second is to learn what we know and use it. There's a lot of a lot of science of learning that's out there for the taking. So we shouldn't just do what the book told us we have to do on Tuesdays because it's Tuesday. Learn a little bit about what goes behind the teaching, not just what the response ought to be, what the processes are. And I'll tell you why that's so important. One day I went to school and a little girl raised her hand because they were asking about an animal. You know, what animal was it? And the kid got it wrong. But the kid said tiger instead of cat. Now, there was an opportunity there because tiger wasn't as wrong as bear Mm -hmm. or snake or bird. But if you thought about the process, you could have said, you know, actually, a tiger's related to the feline family. And that helps the kids make connections to have stronger vocabulary. So learn what's out there. Trust yourself. Learn what's out there. Help parents understand that you're their best advocate. And amidst all of the constraints that are there, and gosh, I know there are many, um, try at least beyond those constraints to add you, to add a love of learning, a little bit of playful learning in that classroom. Doesn't mean just free play, go out and romp in the woods. It means have a goal. And think about how we can instill that goal by creating opportunities for collaboration, communication, content, critical thinking, creative innovation, and confidence. A second is to think about how can I arrange my classroom and my classroom activities so that I hit all the C's. Um, I started doing that in my college classrooms. So collaboration, here's an example. Many of us have easels and the kids get a chance to paint. But you know, they're painting side by side when you do that. What if our painting was painting a mural and the kids got to work together? That turns an isolated experience into an experience for more collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How can we become better listeners and the tools of the mind? There's a wonderful program all over the country uh, Elena Bedrova and Deb Leong have found ways to give you an ear and me a mouth and then to swap it so that we learn not just to talk but to listen and how to present our very best arguments. And you know, one quick example in that the teachers can do all the time. When my kids were little and we were going out to dinner, I used to play a game, make your best argument. And you had to give me at least three reasons why we should go to wherever you want to go. So time marches on, and my one son gets into fourth grade, 
And he says to me, hey, today we learned about the five-paragraph essay. And I said, yeah, did you find it hard? He goes, nah, it was just make your best argument. <laughs> so nested in the games we play are the structures that we really want to get across later for young children. So go through the grid. Go through the grid. It's, it's actually a four-by-six grid with the six Cs top and then ways to think about what you can do for each level on the grid. I like, too, that you have a, a grid in the book, and you've broken yeah. it all down as a rubric so that as teachers we can actually look at our students and have a real concrete way of seeing where they're at and where we can yeah. take them. That's yeah, really helpful. I think it will be really helpful. It's like a, a kind of report card for the 21st century, mm -hmm. but, but it's our report card, too. And mm -hmm. that's why I say looking at that grid and saying, so what was I planning this week? You know? And how do I add just a little bit more critical thinking in it yeah. or a bit more creative innovation in what I was going to do anyway? Yeah. I think it will really help. And I definitely felt challenged by the book when I was reading it to move myself along the continuum too. Yeah. I definitely would read each section and think, oh, okay, where am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Right? It's like an aha experience. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I thank you so much for your time. Do you oh, have any final thoughts? I guess, you know, I, I hope I hope that what we're going to do is instead of making kindergarten the new first grade, um, I hope we're going to make first, second, and third grade the new kindergarten. <laughs> and, uh, and I think our children would be better off if we did that. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. Stay thank you so much. Is the Where is the best place for them to find the book? Um, the best place is is actually to uh, go on Amazon. Okay. Or American Psychological Association also carries the book. You can get it from them. Just go on apa.com and uh, and go under books. And um, also, if anybody wants to know more, I encourage them to visit you know my website, which is uh, kathyhirschpasick.com. And also, you can follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, yes, Twitter <laughs> on Twitter at Pat and Row One. All right, thank you. We will send people your way. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Have a nice evening. Well, that was as great as I thought it would be. It was so wonderful, wasn't it? I'm so it lucky was. to get to talk to all these cool people. I know. I feel so really awesome. blessed. <laughs> I know. Now you need to talk to her about the flashcard one. I know. Maybe she'll come I back. I love that book. Maybe she'll come yes. back and talk to us about that book. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators, by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?